You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to. Do not to not elsewhere. Not elsewhere. 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 Classified. Welcome to Not Elsewhere Classified, a podcast about the medical coding, health information technology, and clinical documentation improvement community. I'm your host, Brian Kui. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number 25. I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I know I did, and I sure did take advantage of those Black Friday deals. So today on the podcast, we have Melissa Freeman. In this podcast, we talk about her transition uh, coming from the, I believe there's a corn stocks out in, <laughs> out in North Carolina, and then transitioning over to the military and then getting her way over from the military, trying to find her way in the healthcare industry and finding herself all the way in Texas. We also talk about how she got her company started, OS2 Healthcare Solutions. We also talk a little bit about risk adjustment, uh, just understanding how it works, uh, what is involved, and we get into so much more. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Melissa Freeman. Enjoy. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Not Us Reclassified podcast. I have here on the podcast today, uh, Melissa Freeman. Hello, Melissa. How are you today? I'm great, Brian. How are you? I'm good. Very good. I had an issue today, almost... um, I almost didn't have our, our session today because at 1030 this morning, as of this recording, my internet went down. And um, usually I need the internet to have a podcast because I need you to call into a conference line that I access online through my computer, which I connect to my mixer and then record. Oh, my goodness. So I know that had to be horrible because we've had internet issues. I, I'd hate to actually lose your internet service provider. I wonder if they're working against us. They're working against coders. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 posted, I posted something today as soon as it went down. I said, what do you guys do when yeah. your internet is down? They put all of these funny GIFs uh, in there, people sleeping, taking naps, uh, having uh, hissy fits on the floor. Uh, it, it was ridiculous. Yeah. So glad. That's more like me. Yeah, so I went for a bike ride in the neighborhood and I saw all of the trucks out there. I said, okay, if any of you, I told them, if any of you can get my internet up now, I'll give you a case of beer. <laughs> they're like, no, 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 it's okay. It's, it's like, no, no, it was already on by the time they were there. So I didn't, I didn't have to give them a beer and I had, I had drinks, but it wasn't cold. So I mean, whatever. I mean, I didn't have to do much. So, um, at least, you know, if not beer, then maybe like, you know, at least a Gatorade or a water or a Coke or something, coffee. you know, coffee. coffee. But but it's hot down coders here. Coders love coffee. But coders love coffee. And even if it's iced coffee, coders love coffee. As a matter of fact, we have a coding and coffee series. And so, yes, and they absolutely love it. Yeah. So do you like that pump? Do you like that pumpkin spice stuff? I I love pumpkin. Like this is my favorite time of the year. So, yeah, <laughs> oh, so you're one of those people that you know, I am one of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I after watching so many people uh talk about it, I decided to just get a smoothie uh for pumpkin spice. It was a pumpkin uh pie 
uh, smoothie. It was pretty good. So I think I'm slowly progressing into the pumpkin spice movement. Yeah. Well, come aboard. We'll take yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. We'll gladly accept you. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, again, thank you for being part of the podcast. Uh, the way we connected was even before your um, your assistant reached out to me um, to be to I guess to discuss certain things and also to be on the podcast. I've noticed your company kind of pop out in social media uh, before we connected, and I'm like, what is this? OS two. Uh, risk adjustment, and I, I definitely have a lot of questions with risk adjustment. I have, I have a certain pers- I have an idea of what it is from my perspective in clinical documentation improvement. A little bit of inpatient, um, but maybe as you later on, I'll, I'll ask that question again. What is risk management? But but I've noticed your company kind of grow like 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 wildfire. I saw I saw the books that you had that you're gonna mail out for training. Uh, you had an office. I'm like, what? Look at this girl doing it. I'm like, she's doing a wonderful job, uh, and you do you do a very good job posting your progress. And I think um, that people who own businesses tend to close the doors and not share what they do. And nowadays with social media, it's great to see. When companies who are starting up or about to start up begin to show off what they have as far not I mean just an office space, uh, the stuff that you're gonna make. I remember there was a picture you had like stacks and stacks of books <laughs> to 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 mail out. I'm like, my gosh, how did she do that? And so we we'll- were we were so excited that year. I think that year we trained about 300. Holy coders. moly! Uh, yeah, it was so it was exciting. It was it was scary. It was exciting. It was like, wait, where did all these people come from? And we weren't we weren't we weren't even ready. Um, you know, I I I felt as though that hey, you can I can teach anyone how to code, and it doesn't matter where what their background is or where they come from. Because if I know if I can do it, anyone can do it. But uh, we learned a lot that year. We had. So much fun with our coders. We grew so many people, and we we're proud to say that we kind of pioneered a, a a movement and launched a lot of you know new coders' careers. So we're, we were excited that year. It's we it's, it's nice because I, I noticed that you gave a chance to a lot of people who are who are hungry uh, to be in the field. But we'll def but we'll definitely get into always to healthcare solutions and more. Uh, but before that. Let's little let's learn a little bit more about Melissa Freeman. So, if you could, please tell the audience a little bit more about yourself. Where did you come from, and how did you get to where you're at today? Wow, where did I come from? I came from a cornstalk in the middle of. <laughs> no, just kidding. I'm I'm a Southern girl. I'm from um, Chapman, North Carolina. Two stop life, as I like to call it. I'm pretty sure you've heard that term a lot. I'm I'm very proud and humble of from where I come from because being from a small town is the was the framework that developed the person that you have today. Like it's the one that developed the character, the work ethic, the tenacity to be able to go out and you know do what I'm doing now. But I come from a small town. I was raised by a single mom, the oldest of five. Um, the, the entire time that I and I, I've been working since I was very little. Um, because I was the oldest of five, I was expected to be, you know, to be mature and to 
and to help out very early. And so I started working very early. In the South, there are ways and opportunities for young people to earn money, and probably not. I probably um, it would raise an eyebrow to the Department of Labor regarding labor laws, but we work. <laughs> we work, and um, but that literally kind of you know again uh, kind of sparked some form of it sparked my work ethic and it sparked my interest in um, entrepreneurship and, and so forth and so on. Um, fast forward, I uh, want, it was time for it's time for me to graduate. Me and my girlfriend, we um, one well actually my eleventh grade year, my eleventh grade year, I never forget it. My, my my best friend, her name is Krista Broxton, I'll never forget it, and we were, it was time for us to take a Miss Epps English test, and we were not ready for our literature exam. And so what we did was, we, instead of taking the exam, we went to take the ASVAB, <laughs> because the recruiters had came in to, um, the recruiters had came in that, that day. So we took the ASVAB instead of our literature exam because we weren't prepared for the exam We were because we were goofing off or whatever. And and so we were supposed to actually join the military together. So we did well on the ASVAB. We were supposed to join the military together. It was something called the Split Up uh, Buddy Program. And um, I signed up, and she left me. Like, oh, no. she enjoyed Oh no! We were, supposed, we were supposed to go together anyway. So I wound up joining the the reserves in my eleventh grade year, um, and I joined because again I wanted to get out of the small town that I was from and um, and kind of see the world and and also like my original passion was I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a lawyer. That's what I so I was accepted to NC State. I had um, I had a pre law. Um, um, undergrad in um, in uh, communications or whatever, but the focus on communications and um, things didn't happen the way that I wanted to the first year of high college. I keep in mind I came from a small town. I go to the big city of Raleigh, North Carolina, with all these big old buildings and lights. And <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow! <laughs> and so I had to, <laughs> I got distracted and. You know, so the good student in high school was not the, you know, I was not as good of a student in college, so I had to come back home. And when I came back home, it was um, about a year, so I, I, I started working for a hospital. I still very much had a passion for learning, and I was like, I have to get a degree in something. And while I was working for the hospital, um, it was about a year or so in, and that's when 9-11 happened. 9-11 happened because I'm a reservist, I had to deploy. Um, I deployed uh, to Kuwait. I spent a year out there, and um, I came back to, you know, get back to my, you know, um, hospital position, and I was like, you know what, this is just not enough. Like, even after just that very short of kind of seeing the world, even though it was in probably not the best situation, I was like, this is not enough. I, I need to, I need more, I need to do more. So I, um, I, I earned my coding certification and um, that's what I earned my coding certification. And it was, at this point, it's now time for me to either re-enlist in the Army Reserves or get um, out. And honestly, I, I, I love the opportunities that the Army afforded me, but I didn't like my job. At the time, I took a position that 
um, um, where I could be done with my AIT so I can go to college on time. Right. So you only you only really have about two months in the summer. So I really didn't care what the job was as long as I could be back in time to start fall semester at NC State. But because NC State didn't work out for me because, you know, the lights and everything, the lights, the lights. (laughs) (laughs) I um now I now the job is really important, and I didn't necessarily like the position that I wanted if I wanted to stay in the Army. So I tried to change my position, and I wanted to do something in healthcare because at that point now uh, I found an interest in healthcare by working at the hospital, working in the medical records department. Um, unfortunately, the way the Army works is during the war, often transportation, which the field that I was in, was a hard-to-fill position. And so it, they would not allow me to change my job. So what I, what I had to do was I had to um, extend to see if maybe in about six months um, they would allow me to go into the healthcare world, which is in um, the in the military sector, is called PAD or Patient Administration Division. I did the six month extension; that didn't happen, so I got out. I, you know, I went ahead and ETS. But when I got out, I started looking for government jobs. This is not the end of my government military career here, because I really appreciate. Again, I really appreciated the opportunities that it afforded me. So I started applying for all jobs all over the country because even though I, you know, I was certified in in two stoplights, the way small towns work is oftentimes people don't leave those jobs because there's nothing for them to do. So they will stay there literally until, you know, I hate to say it, but like literally until it's time to attend. (laughs) They stay there forever. They're they're committed. They're committed to their job. position here um I, i'm never going to do it unless i wait five to ten years and i'm not and that wasn't something that i was comfortable with doing so um, I, again i applied all over the world i mean all over the country colleen texas was the first place to call me from and that is how i moved from that's how i got from north carolina to texas um i was hired by um laura Ballou and sheila smiley at the at um the pad vision and um at Quidancy or Darnell. I worked in a military treatment facility for about five years. I was one of the few coders that at that particular military treatment facility that was uh, trained, like that was, um, uh, like that actually had went through a training course. Everyone else, either they were not certified or they were just all the job training. You know how dangerous that can be. Right, right. <laughs> Where someone tells you, okay, this is how you do it and why you do it that way, because that's how we've always done it. You've right. never had that issue. Maybe it's just me. Um, <laughs> and so whenever I and so I, I, I was promoted very quickly. That was the, one of the youngest ones, and I was promoted very quickly um, in the, at Darnell because I was the one who was always reciting guidelines. No, you mm. can't do that because according to... Oh, you were <laughs> you one <know>? of those. <laughs> I was one of those. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because, you know, 
And I even tell my coders this. I said, you have to know your guidelines like you know your Easter speeches. And I guess, again, that's kind of an adage to being from the South, being Southern Baptist. You know, we know our Easter speeches. So, um, <laughs> so, and, and that's one of the things that I've always told my coders that you have to make sure that you understand your guidelines, maybe even better than your auditor. And you may not win. You may not win depending on how um, articulate you are, but you need to make sure you understand your guidelines. True. Very so true. I, um, to make a long story short, I went from a coder to a lead to a supervisor. We had, we had over 50 coders, I think, yeah, 50 coders. We were the number two in medicine. Um, um, Carl R. Darnell Army Medical Center at the time that I was there we were number two in quality I was so proud of myself we were we were um, even competing with Madigan that's in um, um, that's in Washington State or Tripler that was in Hawaii those were the two those were the two facilities that would often kind of beat us out but we were number two we were proud of our number two spot at least I was proud of number two spot especially with being the supervisor and being the youngest supervisor for so many coders still in my 20s at the time and but I did something where everyone thought I was crazy and I left the military treatment facility I left like Melissa, how could you leave your GS position with your good benefits, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, right. stability, everything? Why would you do that? And it was because while I was working for a military treatment facility, I often was getting the door shut in my face from private hospitals or commercial facilities because oh uh, our Department of Defense they don't code like they don't code for reimbursement and, and we don't and you should and you shouldn't be coding for reimbursement anyway. Uh, but you don't you don't you don't bill Medicare, you don't build, you know, private payers. So you don't understand the struggle or you don't understand what's required uh, for uh, you know, for uh, documentation and so forth and so on, uh, for these facilities, uh, for you know, you know, for what we're looking for. You know, basically, you're just not a fit for what we're looking for. So I try to prove everyone wrong, and then that's probably why you see that alphabet suit behind my name, because <laughs> the commercial <laughs> was like, you're not good enough. You're uh-huh. not good enough. Uh-huh. So I was like, well, listen, I have every coding certification that you're looking for. I have, I, I'm currently the coding supervisor of over 50 coders. I've done reorganization plans. I've moonlighted with, you know, these type of facilities. I have grown revenue for, like, small practices during this, that, and the third, and it's still not good enough. So my place behind left DOD <laughs> and started a consulting firm. Now, now I did consulting I didn't leave DOD because because you know the door was getting shut in my face because at the same time I still have two children and I have to feed the one of the reasons why um well I can get back to that one of the reasons why I left is because um I really wanted to spread my wings but I knew I was more than just you know restricted to Department of Defense coding and management and operational um, you know, strategy and things like that. So I, I did well in that. So I decided to start a consulting firm and started work. You know, and started helping other facilities with, um, um, uh, you know, growing their coders. Like, um, 
mentoring their coders and developing guidelines for their coders. At that time, it was around 2010, 2011 when I left. And I was surprised that many of the facilities that I was consulting for, they didn't have coding guidelines. Now, they followed coding guidelines or they followed coding clinics, but how many times have you worked for a facility where they had very unique practices because of their particular certifications, their stroke center or their um, or chest pain center or their level one trauma or level two trauma or they report to a larger entity or just because of the payer mix that in that particular demographic that no, you're not negating anything that the National Coding Guidelines say or coding clinics say, but whenever there's a gray area, because there's a lot of gray areas sometimes in between the and you have to define it as a facility. How do you handle it? Especially when it affects your payment. And it was so surprising to me that there was a lot of facilities that didn't have that. And I actually used, and I hope I don't get in trouble. I actually used the blueprint from working in the Department of Defense as a template to be able to build these coding guidelines for the facilities. And so fast, like, you know, fast forward, you know, you know, consulting for a few years, you know, eventually find a client that you just kind of have this, you know, amazing chemistry with. And you also notice, Brian, I'm not quite sure if you noticed this also in your tenure as a coder, that most um, – I've noticed. I've noticed that most executives in the coding, like in coding departments, they don't really stay there long. You don't really see coding directors stay there 10, 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. You see them stay there maybe five years, and they'll move on to, you know, another facility doing, right. you know, more, you know. And whenever that happens, it's as a consultant, but rule number one, you guys, if you're looking as a consultant, you want to make sure that you always do such a great job, even when that client gets on your last nerve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> even when it requires you to spend more time than you, quote unquote, may get paid, because this is how OS2 was born. It was because of a chemistry with amazing clients who just so happened to be Southern. <laughs> and she loves Southern women as well. And so when she left her, when she left her, um, um, her director position at one facility and went to another one, she wanted me to be her vendor. And that is how OS2 became, got into risk adjustment. Oh. And I'm pretty sure that's probably, you didn't really want that long of a story. No, I, I want that. Yeah. Out. Yeah. <laughs> but that's how we got to that's exactly how we got to it. So I was working for this large consulting firm and I was making a lot of money. So I was very pleasantly surprised as being a consultant, as a um working from home at the time for this particular project that I was working on, when she called me and she says, Melissa, I need a hundred coders. Wow. I said no, she says, No, Melissa, I need coders. Uh-huh. I said, okay, how many coders do you need? And she said, 100 of them. Holy I said, moly. okay, that's no problem. <laughs> but that's no problem for coders. Brian, if I were to ask you for 100 coders, could you get me 100 coders? I could, but not good yes, ones. But, 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 <laughs> because coders know where to find coders. We know what questions to ask. Uh-huh. And um, now it may not be the next day or the next week, but I can, as a coder, I know where to find coders. Right. And I know. I gotcha. 
you know, by some of the questions that they ask, uh-huh. or I can tell by some of the places that they're in how um, passionate they are, the experience that they've had, or even if they didn't experience the type of, or like I mentioned, like the passion that they have. So I was able to get her some coders. I said, okay, here you go. There are your coders. I'm going back to my good paying job now. Because I did it as a friend. I wasn't getting paid for finding her these coders. I just wanted, I did it as a friend for her. She says, no, Melissa, I want you to be my vendor. I said, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm a coder. What are you? <laughs> I'm a consultant. I'm, I'm not, I don't know the business. Like, you know, I don't know about running a, being a vendor, about being a firm, like to that right, degree. Right. She's like, well, if anybody can do it, you can do it. I've seen what you've done for our facility when we've, you know, you know, reached out to uh, these top consulting firms, and it was you who helped us to get where we are. So I know you can do it. I was like, and we will help you. We will help you. I said, are you sure? Because I'm telling you, I don't know what I'm doing. And you got to be truthful, yeah. I'm telling you, and, and so, like, the first few years, like, we were just really just trying to figure it out, and um, and it worked, because I got her, and then, you know, and um, and then I guess, I guess, with the word of social media or whatever, I had other clients saying, Melissa, I know you can get coders, I'm, I'm seeing OS2 everywhere, I said, yeah, we can, we can get coders, but the way that we're different, the way that our firm is different is, hey, that your CEO is a coder. And the person who's developing your training is a coder. It's not a business owner who's and so who's looking for you know who's looking for these clients. It's a coder that is developing the training, that's speaking up for the coders, that's telling the you know that's um, telling the um, executive team was effective and appropriate to get the results that you want. And so we we maximize outcomes. So. We're now, I'm so proud of what we're doing because we now, because of that, me, because of me allowed, me coming from that corn stalk from North Carolina and me saying yes to her, it's now given me the chance or the opportunity, uh, how can I say it, like giving other people the opportunity when anyone else wouldn't because we now have the trust of major firm, corporations to train brand new coders on their systems and on their projects because they trust and believe in us that these new coders, although they don't have the experience, we trust in Melissa, we trust in the OS2 brand that we're going to get the quality in the production that we typically look for with someone who has more experience. And so that's just who we are. That's what we do. We did it wrong for the first few years. We did not miss because, and and we we did it wrong because we we didn't know how to screen the right personnel. Sometimes, if that makes sense, or even screening the right client. You know, it's not that the client. You know, at the time as where we were as a company, where we were growing as a company, we just were not a right fit for that particular client, and so we would take on projects that our coders were not going to be successful on mm-hmm. no matter what. Mm-hmm. You know, if that makes sense too. But right. I don't know, kind of I'm kind of going off on a tangent that's here. Okay. But yeah, that's a little bit about us and okay, where we came cool. from and how we got there. Well you went all over the place, but that's that's very good. Um yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I'm intrigued on a I'm intrigued in a couple of things. Um 
So you you went into the army reserve, right? Yeah. And you spent a couple of years there, and you went to Kuwait. Um, yeah. And you were in transportation. Um, that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. So then you went back, and then you found yourself after, I guess, finding yourself into the military treatment facility. You worked your way up from a coder to a lead to a supervisor who was performing well, amongst other similar facilities, military treatment facilities. And then um, you decided to move on and branch on your own. I think that's that's for most people um, after a couple of years of doing that certain type of thing for a couple of years, you tend to kind of get held in a box. And I think after a couple of years, I'd like to say after some people have it two years and and they, I, I, I always heard of the two year itch. And I guess once you get past that, then you can you're okay. But then after that, I think you get stagnant. You know, it's not you're doing. And I, I listened to a podcast before um, Dave Chang podcast, and he was talking about somebody, uh, a young chef, um, somewhat similar to what you've done, uh, but got very stagnant. And her supervisor said, "You know what? Not supervisor, but the lead chef, the executive chef says, you got to go, uh, only because." you're not growing, you're, you're stagnant, you know, and you're not doing things that you want to do. And so I can see how you wanted to do more. Uh, you mentioned the doors closing and stuff like that. And you wanted to create your consulting firm, which is pretty good, pretty good. And I, and I like the, the, the sense, the, the one thing you mentioned about um, creating guidelines, uh, did you mean policy and procedures for, for coder coding departments? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. One thing I noticed too in coding departments um, that they don't have any, and um, I've done you know especially for those that are auditing, they have their own policies and procedures that are very rigid. You know, they they work that policy and procedures to the core. So if if a facility gets audited by a certain company or whatever auditing company, they have their policies that they're basing it upon the denial. And the facility doesn't have one checkmate, you know, they, they, they lost, you know, and you're, you know, that's the one thing that I like that you're doing is helping people create a solid foundation um, that is put on paper because a lot of people say, oh, refer to coding clinic. Oh, refer to this journal, refer to this, to this website. I said, what do you mean website? One time, one time I was, I was referred to Wikipedia. I said, you're kidding me, right? You know, I, I've been an instructor for how many years and I tell my students Wikipedia is not the resource. And I've been told, yeah, and then he, I get an email one time and it says, well, my source is Wikipedia. I'm like, you're kidding me. So, you know, <laughs> the resources, the policies have to be solid in a department. It's not just the fact that you being task oriented, just just rolling the wheels. Um, it's a matter of solidifying a, a very good foundation in the department that you could base your department on, because I, I'm sure, in my experience, there are employees that have certain, I guess, conflicts on certain conditions and cases, whatever it may be. But if you have a policy written that people can follow, it squashes all, it squashes all argument to the ground. You know, yeah. And then um, what else did I want to mention here? Oh yeah, so then you found you. So the move, you made a move from North Carolina to Texas. How was that? How was that change? Like you mentioned a change from from 
where were you originally from North Carolina to rally? That you, where were you before? You said the corn stocks, <laughs> but, but, but where exactly were in North Carolina? Where you did you come from? I come from a town called Chadburn, North Carolina. It is about an hour away from Fayetteville, an hour away from Wilmington, uh-huh. forty-five minutes from Myrtle Beach. So we're kind of like in that triangle. Okay. Uh, there. So yeah, that's that's where I'm from. It's like the southeastern coast of North Carolina. Okay, okay. So then you went to to Raleigh, a big city. So you went from small town, ta- small town, like well, you say farm town. I, I'm assuming, uh, rural rural town, right? To big city lights. You got hypnotized a little bit. Got to go home to 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 rub your eyes a bit. Um, but then when you made them move from where you were in North Carolina to, and then you found a job out in Colleen, Texas. What was that like in transition? Cause, cause you mentioned, you know, if, if moving just a couple, you know, within state, but, but imagine moving to another state, another city and state, what was that transition? Like, did you have the same effect when you went to rally or, or were you more mature uh, in making that move afterwards? Or did you like learn from your experience in rally? Like, I'm not going to do this again as a, as you're moving over to Texas. Well, I was a bit nervous, and as a matter of fact, I'll never forget when I was offered the position in Colleen. I would, it took me, I, I only accepted it at the very last date of acceptance for that position because I was literally scared to death. I am a, I am a small town girl, and I did not want to leave my mom. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, even which is which is so oxymoronic right because I wanted to leave I was so ready to leave it you know at high school I wanted to get away from the small town but you know going to doing something new was absolutely scary to me but it was my mom who says Melissa if you don't get out now you'll never get out and I I will do whatever I can to make sure that you are successful and she did so we packed up my expedition anything that could fit in the car and I moved to Cologne. I got myself a you know a two bedroom duplex and I slept on the floor for a few months because I couldn't afford to <laughs> I had this really nice brand new duplex that I was sleeping on the floor with, on it with an air mattress, you know, and um, and it was a little bit surreal, you know, kind of going back to your question, it was a little surreal because although Colleen is still considered a small town to to most, to me it was it was big, it was a, it meant so much more because of the opportunities that it. Um, created it, it created for me, and am I just strong enough to be able to accept them and willing to accept on this change? And, and I think that's kind of you know that can speak to anyone in any phase in their life, no matter where they're going, even if they're not necessarily you know leaving a town, like if they're changing a job, if there's this new opportunity that's available to them, and you're in your comfort zone, right? You're, hey, I know CDI, I know, but now they're asking you to do EMR implementation and uh, template building or, you know, policy development. You know, am I ready for this? You know, I know CDI like the back of my hand and I'm comfortable with it. And I know how to quote line, paragraph, and sentence any guideline, you know, that, uh that negates anything but when it comes to policy writing yes i'm familiar with it 
but am I comfortable and articulate in it? And that's when I think you have to, again, kind of step back and say, hey, what is my goal here? What is my purpose here? What, you know, what am I looking for? And I don't know, what is my why? What is your why? I love that. I don't know if you've ever seen that Buster Douglas um, motivational, but that's, that's absolutely, probably my absolute. And whenever I kind of come against any obstacle, that is the question that I pose myself. Why am I here? Okay. Good. Good. So during then you worked, so in Colleen, you worked in your military uh, treatment facility. Then you had issues trying to find hospital jobs and you explained why. Um, especially because they, they looked at your background and automatically, uh, kind of cast a shade on you. Like you're a label. Uh, this is you, you're, you're a part of the department department of defense. You're not necessarily a real coder. You're more like a statistical kind of person. Uh, and there's no true purpose. Yeah. There's no true purpose in your coding, uh, that doesn't meet our bottom line. Um, right. And, but so then you you mentioned you 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 have the alphabet soup behind your your I mean I'm I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile now R H I T C D I P C C S C C S P C P C I C P C C O C C R C holy moly, um so like you got your coding which which coding credential did you get first before moving to Colleen? The C- I got my C P C first. Okay, C P C, and then. In that trend, in that time of you trying to branch out or trying to find a inpa or whatever a hospital position, like where did these credentials come from? <laughs> where do they where do they pop up? Especially the RHIT. Right. Were you taking were you going to school at that time also to get your RHIT? Yes, I was. I was going to school at that time to get my RHIT. And when I started branching out, it probably wasn't until 2008. And by 2008, I had my CPC. Mm-hmm. RHIT, CCSP, wow. um, and COC. Wow. And it was like, okay, you need your CCS in order to be considered. So <laughs> I got my CCS. And then um, and when I was one of the first ones to take the CDIP. Because before, when I had to take oh. the CDIP, you didn't have to have all these years of experience. or oh, You were the guinea pig. I was the guinea pig. So I had CDIP just the very first year that it was launched. Oh, you. (laughs) Okay. All right. So I had all of those. Yes. I had all of those credentials in every, doors was still, I mean, I'd I'd had some like firms, Mm -hmm. you know, like some coding firms, you know, um, give me positions, but I didn't feel validated unless a, a facility gave me a position. It's one thing to work for a consulting firm, a coding firm, because oftentimes you're talking to people. Not well. Let me say, at that time, let me say, at that time, back in 2008 and 2009, I was talking to uh, tenured health. What was it? What medical records? What was the name of that degree? Oh my gosh! Well, typically your director wasn't they didn't necessarily have a lot of coding experience. It was more so they were just executives. Like medical record uh, administrators or something like that? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And so, and it wasn't necessarily easy to impress them. It wasn't easy, you know, but I wanted a a hospital to validate me. And I I knew it was going to be a hard, it was going to be a hard sell. So that's the reason why. I said, okay, in order for me to be taken seriously in this, then I have to 
I'm going to have to take a leap of faith. I'm going to leave my good government job. Woo, that was scary. Yeah. Yeah, I think you had scary. to, like, detach yourself from, from what is holding you back, I guess. Um, and I, and I like how you mentioned that you have to to prove yourself, and especially with with um, up and coming you know coding professionals today, uh, they think that you know just because you have the credentials, uh, you know you, you listed a whole bunch of them, but you know a lot of people, and I think what happens, I, I don't think it was your credentials that did it; it was your drive. So people who see a drive beyond credentials, I think that's something that should be looked at. Uh, even if you don't even have a credential, um, just the drive to learn and, and things like that. And I, I, we could talk about um, how you've taken you know, a lot of uh, aspiring coders who are very young in their career and bring them in under your wing. We'll talk about that in a second. But you, you I think, are, are just a product of of just drive. And I think when I tell people like, Oh, what, what credentials should I get? What, I mean, it's good. Go ahead and get it. But then what are you going to do with it? Um, right. Are you going to necessarily right. going to step out and just flash your badge, your credential and just say, I'm, I'm, I'm entitled to a job because I, I took a test or, yes. <laughs> or, or are you going to go beyond the skill sets um, and show who you are as a person uh, to get that job. I, I know what you're talking about, especially when you're trying to get into somewhere, um, especially a hospital job. Um, it happened to me, especially when I only had my RHIA in, and I was in CDI. And and when you talk about your CDIP, um, uh, when it came out, I, I was one of the people who was scared. I was like, I'm not I'm not going to be that that guinea pig who's going to take the test first. <laughs> But you, but I guess, but you were the. So let me. I said, let me wait for somebody else to take the test and see how. Let me get some data off of that, so that way I can take my test. And you took it with 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 nothing, right? What did you What did you study to to prepare for that test without? Nothing. I mean, just nothing. I didn't study anything. I didn't study anything. I figured that if at this point I I felt I was coding for about six or seven years. If I don't know CDI with the exposure, you know, with the contracts that I've been exposed to, what I've been doing at, at this point as a coding supervisor, coding manager, I'm as a consultant, then, dang, then maybe I really don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Right, right. <laughs> and, and honestly, that's how I, that was my approach. I make sure that I, you have to be confident in what you're doing, Brian. You have to know that you know what you're doing. You And if, and that's not like, you, the, your best, re- everything, not necessarily everything, but most of the information from these exams is in your book. You need to know your book. <laughs> if you know your book, you will be fine. And and I knew my book. And if it's something that I didn't necessarily know the answer to, I knew where I can go find the answer to validate my hypothesis or what I think it is. Know what I mean? So that's that was it. You have to, you know, you have to be confident. And to speak back to what you mentioned about uh, a bunch of coding certifications, I always tell my coders, you only need the core certifications. This, you know, COBGCYN and uh, <laughs> CIMPDT and all this other stuff. I I dare you to go to Indeed. I dare you to go to the hospital that you your goal hospital to work for and see what if that credential is there. If if those credentials are not there, then you don't need to 
I'm gonna say this. Unless you're doing it for your personal, because I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, step right. on anyone's toes. Right, right. Unless you're doing it for your own personal reasons, you don't need to have the OB and the ER and the the podiatry, and you don't need to have every last one of those credentials because it's not going to necessarily speak to what you can have the core credentials, and then make sure that your resume reflects. Not only are you having the core credentials, how you are um, you keeping up with that skill with some of the, your continuing education for that year. Not only just the jobs that you held, because coding changes every year. What are you putting on your resume that reflects your uh, the coding your coding your CEUs or that you've you, you've you've um you've earned that year. Not just how many of you earned, but what courses or what uh, lectures you listen to or journals you've written. Or <laughs> I might as well I might as well list I might as well list what Netflix shows I watched that year too, right? You know that I think you know the resident. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the resident is everything for coders this year. I'm kidding. But yeah, not not necessarily that, but you know what I mean. To the to the point where, you know, when when you're speaking to the hiring manager, because every resume, I I look at resumes all the time. They all look alike. Mm -hmm. Yes. Every last one of the coding certificate, all of every last one. I the ones that you know appeal to me are the ones that truly take a profound uh, who's proud of their education in coding. Mm -hmm. Who I can tell passionate about it yeah. but right that's there. I, I like that I, I like when you when you could tell out of a resume but most importantly for me I gotta I gotta talk to the person and if they can you can if you can sense it like your voice is full of passion I, I mean you can tell it right away versus somebody's like well you know um I, I just want a job and and I'm I'm what are my key what are the, the core words that I usually I'm reliable dependent I'm a team player I'm like, <laughs> you know um so it's like i know i know that all right i've heard all of that next you know so let me move on to the next person um but like i think going back to also to to people who get so many credentials even specialized credentials it's the same way when you have like an associate's bachelor's once you get a like the bachelor's is like the core or even associates is in the core but like once you get to like a master's then it gets like there's a there was a diagram if you draw like a full circle right a full entire circle so like the full circle would be probably either like your associates or even your bachelor's once you get to like a master's you would take a part of that circle i would like to say like maybe 10 to 15% of the circle is focused on a specific area based upon your bachelor's. Then when you go into more specialized, like a doctorate, then it becomes even more like a dot, like a small smidget within your within your your core knowledge in, in, in what you've learned in your bachelor's. So like when you when you talk about people getting specific I know AAPC has very specific specializations and you know certifications and specializations. Uh, it's like, and you mentioned a very good point. When you go to Indeed, I, do you ever find them? No, they want somebody who has who has the core. Unless you're going to be a true like for me, I think if you're going to be specialized, you're going to be the niche person that's going to go out there and speak about it uh, because. People who have the core knowledge may not have a specialized knowledge, and it takes somebody who is specialized to help them add on to their core. So Absolutely. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> you Absolutely. Know? Yeah. 
Absolutely, because I have my, my code is Melissa. I'm gonna go sit for the CMC and I'm gonna sit for the CIBDT, and I'm like, why? <laughs> it's hard. It's half off it. I was like, okay. <laughs> it's like, why do you okay, even yeah. need that? But look on it and tell me how many jobs you find. Yeah, I mean, unless you're gonna be be the, I, I think when people get more specialized, they they should be at that point. Uh, be that person to the go-to person um, at that point. If if you're just getting the specialization just to have it in the back of your name, then again, you're not utilizing it to its full potential. I think the full potential is to be that person to be the go-to person in that specific uh, specialty. All right. So very good. Um, So you branched out, did a consulting firm, found a facility that, that, uh, gave you a chance and I, I like your response is like wh- why me you know <laughs> why why me and I, I think that I, I can resonate that because that's that's how it was for me when people give me opportunities I said well why you sure you know when I first got my CDI position I'm like you want me and he says yeah we want you <laughs> you know I'm like like you sure you don't want somebody else They're like we want we could train you I think when when people are open to training you and when you show people that you're willing to learn I think that that is an opportunity and I do a lot of uh, in my speaking events I I kind of promote the why not why not shrug your shoulders and say why not when you're ever given an opportunity you never know if you'll ever get that opportunity again even though it may not be something you want so, like for example, I talked to um, I, I talked to Brian Murphy. He's the director of the Association of Clinical Documentation Improvement Specialists. We had a big two-hour uh, interview, and you you couldn't you wouldn't believe how he was just thrusted into the role. He even asked. He even told me like, I don't even know how I became the director of ACTIS. It was only because people saw something in him, the same way uh, your colleagues saw something in you to become the vendor. But once some I guess when people see something in you but you don't realize it, I think you're at a you're at a point where like should I act upon it? But I think that is a true sign. You know, like if people are seeing it but you don't, it's an opportunity for you to figure out what they're seeing. Right. You know, and to mold yourself yep. into the way that the way they see you. Absolutely. Yeah. Um so at that point, then you decided to create, well, think about create OS2. So what, what, what happened after that? After you told her, like, you're going to be my vendor. And then you're yeah, like, so, so what did you do? You go home and you're like, uh, I don't know. What do I do now? Right. So OS2 prior to 2014 was always just me as a consultant. I, I created the company in 2011 as me being a consultant. So um, I would have a regular job. Yeah, it was just me. It was just me. And um, so I would have a W-2, a regular job. But then, you know, I knew I wanted to do more because I was hungry for coding. And so any type of coding opportunity that would come my way, I would take it. And and I will branch that all under OS2 Healthcare Solutions. And so after OS2 Healthcare Solutions kind of had its launched in 2014 with that large coding project in risk adjustment uh, for our client, um, it just kind of catapulted from there. We uh, we got one client turned to two clients, two clients turned to three and four and five clients, and then and then it just kind of 
branched off into more coders. Now, what I did find is, um, what I did learn is that, you know, one of the issues in risk adjustment, because we do retro risk retrospective risk adjustment, um, that's our primary baseline. Can we do other types of coding? Absolutely. So you're telling me there's con- well, there's concurrent risk adjustment? It's retrospective. No, but are you saying adjustment. that there there's, there is concurrent retro, uh, risk adjustment? I didn't know about that. No. Or, well, or, is it, or, is it, or is it traditionally retrospective? Yeah, it's traditionally retrospective, but you do have some facilities that um, – Work with their client. Uh, excuse me. Work with their providers concurrently mm. with their documentation. Oh right, right, right. Um, that's if they have physician educators. You have. Um, I'm not going to name any names, but you do have some facilities that do. Like for example, I know Scott and White does it. Um, I think there's some facilities in. Um, can't think of any. Um, in um, Colorado, in Arizona, I know for a fact that does it. But anyway. Um, and they do that though. By the time when it's time to report at the end of the year, it doesn't cost as much in you know um, vendors you know trying to you know c- you know get all these pick up all these HCCs and these risk scores for but because they've already gotten the documentation. If, in, in, if there's any opportunity for query, they can get it in real time versus after the fact. But that's the end of it. So yeah, so we um, oh gosh, what was your question? <laughs> Well, well, let me, let me, let me. Well, okay, so no, I, I know. I know well, let me go back. I, I, I came up with a question while you were trying to trying to think of answering my question. Is how did you come up with OS two? Where did that come from? That's a really good question. So, um, when I was thinking about the name, I was talking with a very good friend of mine. Her name is Yutanga Kill, and um, and she's she's actually she went to Chapel Hill. She's in Robin right now. Okay. And she says, well, and she says well, I, I said, I need help with a name for my coding firm. And she says, well, what are you going to do? I said, I want to be the one-stop shop of all, you know, for revenue cycle because I can literally do anything. Because keep in mind at the time, it was just me. I probably need to change my name soon, but because it, it was just me at the time, I, because I can literally do it all. And she said, well, well you can't call it one-stop shop. Why don't you call it OS2? And that's how it happens. You know, one stop shop is two S's. Stop shop is two S's. So instead of two OS S's, S's she OS flipped the she flipped the, the S to a two. Interesting. I like that. I like that. It's like um, it's like it's like in um, it's like um, uh, gosh, like when when AOL used to have Instant Messenger, we used to come up with some weird screen names and have one that's like you know capitalized one that's a number <laughs> so so a one stop shop so it's supposed to literally mean one stop shop healthcare solutions right right so for any of your revenue cycle needs you know you know uh, we can help with coding billing cdi policy development um, claims denial, any of those type of things, or at least that was one of the things that, that at the time when I developed the company, when I created the company, I was proficient in. But now that we kind of have a niche in um, uh, risk adjustment, risk adjustment, then I need I probably I was reading somewhere that you know you might need to probably change your name or do some rebranding or something. So we look for that. Well, you never know, you know, you, you want to, I mean, if that's what you start off with, that's what you start off with. Um, and, or you could branch off from your, I guess the OS2 healthcare solutions and create another name, uh, under it. 
like how I have, you know, medical coding geek and not elsewhere classified. I, I didn't want to have like medical coding geek and medical coding geek podcast. It sounds, it sounds boring. So like you could rebrand a branch of your company, you know, like one stop risk adjustment. I don't know <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Flip the letter around, change the letter to a number, something. You'll you'll come up with something, or your friend will come up with something. So just like kind of rebrand that. So speaking speaking of risk adjustment, I I you know one one of the things like in because when I started, I guess in in 2015 when ICD 10 was about to come. Um, and, and I, I real, I didn't realize when I came into social media to promote, uh, medical coding geek about risk, adjust- I didn't know nothing about it. All I knew was inpatient, outpatient CDI. When I stepped into social media, I, I didn't ever realize that Facebook had Facebook groups for coders. So once I tapped into that, I found risk adjustment. Um, I think they just came, I don't know, did they just come out with the CRC uh, at that time? So they just came out with all of that. And I'm like, what the heck is risk adjustment? So, I mean, I've talked to a couple people. I've, I've tried to read some of the, the, the manuals that are provided by Medicare and things like that. But I just, I have an idea. But like now that you're on the, the, on the podcast with me, could you kind of give me an idea? And even the, the people in the audience, give me in your own words, I mean, without going too long, but like what is the gist of risk adjustment? So risk adjustment is capturing chronic illnesses of patients for health plans um, to be reimbursed for Medicare, and, and essentially, and so, um, <clears throat> and even commercial plans too as well. But what happens for us, for what happens is at the end of the year, all of these health plans need to be able to submit to Medicare how sick their patient population is, how sick their demographic is, which affects, you know, how much they're paying for their treatment. So, for example, you know, you chronic conditions that, um, because you're not going to necessarily change a person's, you know, someone's premium, you know, due to ACA or whatever. Honestly, I don't even know how that is affected with Trump or whatever. But, um, but, um, you know, you're not going to necessarily, you know, affect their payment. So a person that had a, a, a healthy person actually is, you know, kind of paying for a, a sicker person. So, for example, patient that had an, an AIDS patient, patient that has AIDS, because they're probably the one of, they are the most expensive patient to take care of for health plans. And so because it costs so much for a health plan to take care of a patient with AIDS, if that's not captured, for that calendar year and submit it to the government, I mean, submit it to Medicare, then they will not get their payment to be able to, uh, to their subsidy to take care of that patient. Okay. So they're, they're like, so like for the AIDS patient, what are they, what would they be looking for in document? Like, so, so like, Great so you tell question. me like the, so you tell me like for the end, like the end of the year. So meaning like, does a code, like a risk adjustment coder have to grab the patient's medical record for the entire year and then do a mm-hmm. review of that whole entire record? Yep, that's Holy exactly Lord. what happens. Holy so Lord. what happens is at the end of the year, um, they would review every every um, encounter that patient had from the, the, that year, and they will pick up any risk adjustment or uh, any HCC or RxHCC codes, which is 
hierarchical condition conditional categories um or categorical conditions anyway anyway one of the two and um so what they'll pick each one of those up and then they'll submit it then those HCCs would then be turned into a score and that score would be is kind of calculated based upon demographic and location and you know a geography or whatever and then that's what determines the payment for that particular patient uh for that year to the health plan um so some for example some hccs are things like um think of just your chronic conditions think of like your age or your or your acute conditions um that cost a lot of money to take care of like um like heart attacks or um strokes and uh aneurysms COPD, diabetes, cancer. Cancer is a very expensive um, one. Um, GERD, believe it or not, uh, because of the medication associated with it. Um, Hyperlipidemia, those are some of the chronic conditions. And what's so great about it, and one of the things that I had uh, when I first started with suggestions, I was like, man, this is perfect for our inpatient coder because the inpatient coders understand meat. Because they're not going to pick up a diagnosis unless they have something to support it. What is so, what it, is meat? It, what is meat? stand by the way, is it like a steak? Like when somebody told me meat, I'm like, oh, you're making me hungry. <laughs> what, what, what does meat what stand for? <laughs> yeah, so it means uh, manage, evaluate, assess, and treat. So if the provider didn't, you got to look for one of those four elements in the medical record in order to pick up, in order for the HCC or the chronic condition to be substantiated to be supported. <laughs> and that's what we do in inpatient coding, right? Like as an inpatient coder, if we don't have meat, we're not going to capture it if it's not substantiated, if it's not supported, if I don't have a, a lab or an order or um, um, a medicine or something done for that done for that diagnosis, I'm not going to capture it. Um, so um, that basically is what it is. Nice. So, the, so I, I like that. So like, when I, because I, I, I traditionally review inpatient charts, and I'm I'm usually associated with the acute site. So, like you say, the the inpatient would be good. So, a lot of times I, I look at the, because um, I want to make a correlation between MSDRG and and your HCC risk adjusted score, right? So, like, so to bridge the gap, I guess to help me understand it. So, from an MSDRG standpoint, we have the acute condition or acute conditions principal diagnosis, secondary diagnoses, but also what is captured even like in um, uh, like even the APR DRGs, right? So like you have the severity of illness, risk of mortality, one, two, three, four, right? I, I can definitely see it how that works in risk adjustment because a lot of conditions that are usually chronic can can affect the SOI and the risk, risk of mortality uh, score in the APR DRG. So when you're looking at a an office, I'm, I'm assuming this is all done in the office setting, right? So for physicians, uh, they would grab like a page, one patient's whole years of records, and you're telling me an AIDS patient. So like, I'm sure this is probably coming from a. Uh, would this be more like an attending, or would this be like a consultant, like a you know infectious disease specialist, or would it be both? In that case, the you know, the physician side, I mean the outpatient records, but also inpatient records too. So we do review inpatient records um, for uh, during you know you know for risk, uh, risk adjustment as mm-hmm. well. So yes, it's 
in every type of encounter, any um, privileged provider um, or, or acceptable provider that Medicare uh, recognizes that we will capture those codes that's you know that's documented from that acceptable provider. So like even so so you would say you're telling me like office visits and inpatient records are also included in in that mix for the whole cumulative record. Yep, absolutely. Oh, holy moly! <laughs> so I can yeah. imagine. And, and, what's so, and what's so crazy is that the coder would have to apply both the inpatient and the outpatient rules. Wow. On the place of service. Now, what's funny? What's funny though is like, is like I, I, I hear people on social media because I, I monitor it very well. People who have the CRC right, so risk, you know, certified risk, risk, risk coder, and some people are are, are putting it out there or kind of worried that risk adjustment coding is not real coding. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, I've I've heard people say that, or people tell them that it's not real coding. I'm not too sure why. Maybe you have. Maybe you could shed some light in and kind of debunk it. Maybe I. I, I don't have. I, oh wow! I, honestly, I've never heard that. But I wonder if it is because it doesn't capture. I actually don't know because risk adjustment coding is specifically only diagnosis coding. That's and, probably why. And maybe the the other coders feel like it's not real coding because they have to capture not only diagnosis but procedural services as well and ensure that all the demographic information is correct and um, appropriate modifiers you know so of course if it's an outpatient setting um, you know that kind of thing um, and so and because that is the way they they were taught you know oftentimes people have a hard time or they challenge things that are different, and that's the only thing I can think of. Okay, okay. Not quite. Yeah, I think that's that was that was because like when you become a, a risk adjustment coder, all you worry about is just the ICD-10 CM, and that's about it. You don't have to worry about CPT or ICD-10 CM, which which they're total beasts on their own. Um, so I can definitely see why they would say that. But when you tell me that you have to uh, utilize both the inpatient guidelines and the outpatient guidelines. I mean, I've done inpatient and someone tell me to go do ancillary. Now, to to juggle both of them at the same time, uh, that's a, that to me sounds like a headache. Yeah, <laughs> and it is. And it is a challenge for our coders. But the thing about it is, is that um, keep in mind who we tip. We don't typically accept um experienced coders into our program unless they've worked with us before and the reason why is because they do have that challenge and um, with new coders you only have to focus on diagnosis then you're able to retain or catalog the guidelines better because you're only focused on one discipline now keep in mind who your typical coder is their age, what's going on in their life, what's their life circumstance like. So they're not in, I mean, you know, hoorah, kudos to those, to those coders who made it that was able to catalog four or five different guidelines, Hicks, Picks, got, uh, CPT, PCS, ICPM. Kudos to you guys. Mm-hmm. Yep. But most coders are not successful. They're not successful. 
and, and, and that's one of the things that I signed as a consultant, why a lot of physicians, I mean, why a lot of facilities, like, you know what, we don't even want to, we don't even want to have coatings on our department. We don't even want to do coding departments. You know, we just rather outsource it because it's just too much. It's hard to keep management staff. It's hard to keep. That's another conversation. That's probably another podcast. But <laughs> yeah, go ahead. It's just too hard. Uh-huh. But the way, but if you figure out people, right, and that's where we come. If you figure out people and how to maximize potential, people's potential, then you can ha- have amazing successes, and that's what we did with risk adjustment. Focus only on diagnosis. Understand those guidelines. And once you get thought, once you figure that out, then let's move on to outpatient. Let's move on to E&M coding, and let's and move on to procedural coding. Now you got procedural coding. Let's work on that for a year or two because you've already got diagnosis down with the way Especially since, especially if you're doing risk adjustment and you have to do inpatient and outpatient guidelines, that you have to know not only national coding guidelines and um, um, the coding clinic, but the great thing about risk adjustment, payers, plans have, remember what I told you when I started that they actually have coding guidelines. Facilities may not have that for you. They may not have that. They may not have a document to cover that gray area. Right. But the payers your Aetna's, your Blue Cross, your Malibu, oh, yeah. your, your Optum, they have guidelines yep. for you. Mm-hmm. So you have, now you're, you're familiar with how to use a resource. Man, you're a triple threat. You're amazing. And now when it comes to just learning procedures, you already have fundamental um, instructions as to how to catalog and what to retain and how to use it. So now you're a better coder just because when you when it's time for you to go on to procedures, you you can understand it better. Right. But that's another. Yeah. So that's how you you've been able to 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 grow your company like exponentially because of that that approach where you give them focus. I guess I, I, the the Pareto effect, right? You focus on twenty percent of the total coding package to to produce eighty percent maximization or output so like when you're basically focusing on a small area to provide a big outcome and then you kind of increase it more to produce a better outcome yeah i like that that's really nice yeah absolutely and our clients have you know we've had many of our clients say that melissa you know your approach whatever your model is is you know you're doing something right because you're outperforming larger firms and that makes me feel great because I don't have you know these are I don't have a marketing team Brian I don't have a communications team and a, you know all that other fancy stuff that the big big firms it's just me and my my group of amazing auditors and instructors that have a passion for coders and know what they're looking for and know what they need um, to make them successful, to be able to say, and and even when they leave, because we don't want anyone to stay at OS2. OS2 is just a, I mean, if you decide, like, I didn't even ask my audience, like, why are you still here with me? <laughs> so, like, you, know, just, you can make so much more money somewhere else. <laughs> like, why are you here? But they love being a part of something where where they feel like they are changing the world. And we are. We are helping coders where no one else would. And we're 
creating new things, you know, from, you know, I'm going to listen to you. If you think this is going to be, if this is going to help the coder, let's, let's implement it. We don't have to go through Tom's, you know, Dr. Dr. Tom, Dr. Harry, you know, this person and that person to get this implemented to, to make sure this happens. We, we put it together, you know, because unfortunately I'm not backed by an, an, an investment firm, Lord. Probably it would help. But. <laughs> but you're doing, you're doing way, you're doing better, better than expected without any, uh, and you mentioned like it, you being the CEO as a coder, um, you don't need like a you know somebody like a capital firm to invest in your company to take over your company. You are it, you know. You're you're the person who has the the mission, the vision, the goals, uh, the directives as part of your company, and you're the one leading that versus somebody who invests in the company who has I guess stake in the in the company uh, that can I guess overpower your mission and vision but you're like you're you're the one man you're the one man one woman uh, showing this and so like you started out as one person up until now how many people do you have now as part of your team like kind of like a rough figure so, yeah so we have 117 coders this oh, year wow. we have yeah and we have 10 um, managing ten people on our, I think it's probably more, ten people on our management team and about six support staff. So, and I can so it's we have Scott Smith and Tammy Buckley and Jennifer and Teresa Freeman and Arquasia and Janiqua and Lara, Sharon uh, Anderson. I just want to say their names yeah, because yeah. they. Absolutely amazing. They build platforms. You know, they built a coding community. Like Scott, he's a medical coder with an automotive background that mm. just so happy at techie. He loves he loves tech stuff, and he built our entire. He built us a coding platform. He built us a production platform, and he you know, and he's just absolutely amazing. He keeps all the coders connected. It keeps them connected. So even though you're remote, you're never by yourself. You have a question, uh, and it's and you're working at eight o'clock or nine o'clock, one o'clock in the morning. Someone is on our network to answer your question. So you're never by yourself. Thank you, Scott, for that. Thank you, Jim, <laughs> for creating amazing. Because um, you know, I, I can be long-winded. Jennifer's a little long-winded too, but I can. But she's she knows how to present data where a new coder can retain it and catalog it. So she's great at instructing and teaching. Um, so we just have a we have an amazing we have auditors who's available for you for one on one. So if you don't get it, you have somebody that you can you can say, hey. I don't understand why I'm getting it wrong. And you have an auditor that's available for you to ask. It's basically, think about, like, um, what is the 3M Nosology Help Desk? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> we have Nosology, our, yeah. We have our, yeah, we have that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think that's one of the things that kind of make us different, set us apart. Very nice. Very nice. So what um I know I'm jumping a question here, but uh, but what does the future hold for for OS2 and I'll get to the question about you but but what does OS2 look like to you in the future now right now your 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 niche right now I think you're talking about risk adjustment but what what I mean without revealing too much but you know what what was what, what is your pathway in the future for OS2 
Well, you know, honestly, I'm hoping that we can we can go back to my roots and we can go back into coding from some military treatment facilities. I think that would be the perfect pathway for our risk adjustment coders. You know, um, learning E and M and working, you know, coding those physician records um, to at large capacity and large scale because we already have the team to do it. We've proven that they can do it. We've proven that we can we can surpass quality standards, and that's one of the things I'm I'm probably most proud of that. That the fact that they're so new and they are we 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 meet ninety five percent or higher quality standards, and it's all because of our it's all because of my auditing team and the tools that they've implemented and the processes that they implemented before we release the coder into full production, um, that they're confident and comfortable in what they're doing. So I'm hoping that we can get in, you know, we can go back to my roots and we can go back into, you know, DOD and military treatment facility outpatient coding. Hey, why not? Why not? Yeah. That should be, yeah, it's like it, it comes full circle after that. So, you know, from, from where you came from and, and where you went and then you're coming back, that sounds pretty cool, yeah. So anybody who's listening, uh, get ready for, for, for Melissa to come to come at you for, for some uh, services there. If you guys are, if anybody from the, from the military uh, treatment centers, uh, get ready. So, what is the? So, the, I guess our our our, our last couple of questions. Because, gosh, look at that. We're like oh, past an hour. We could talk on forever. But, um, what? So, personally, then, what does the future hold for you? I know you have a slew of credentials. Uh, you have your own company. Uh, it's doing well. But it's but really, what what does the future hold for Melissa Freeman? No, you know, honestly, I am just trying to improve on our brand. Because keep in mind, OS2, the capacity that OS2 is right now, it, I never imagined that we would be where we are. So I'm still trying to mentally catch up. Um, in regards to, for me, um, I just want to be an advocate for the new coder. I want to be an advocate for um, the stay-at-home mom, the, the or the, the the stay-at-home father who 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 values tradition, who values the you know being home when the children come at home, come home, and you know being that supportive wife and being that supportive husband, being at PTA meetings and not have to compromise. Um, uh, you know, hours at work or their paycheck because they have a position where they won't, that doesn't allow them that flexibility. I just want to be that advocate. I want to be the person, I want to be, I want to be the person to change the way that healthcare in the healthcare industry view not only new coders, but American coders, but American coders, bring it back to us. You know, I understand why, right? I, I get the why, but bring it, you know, we can give you the same level of service, the same level of quality, and it doesn't necessarily have to hurt your pocketbook if you understand how to do it. So, for example, 
OS2, we have an agreement with the Department of Labor because coding is an in-demand, in-demand field, uh, uh, career field. Yeah. So the part, so we have we have a we have an apprenticeship program with the Department of Labor where we're allowed to pass that cost savings to our clients um for our coders, meaning that our clients can typically get American coders at the same price. Well, not maybe not maybe not at the same price, but like at competitive rates, uh, because of that agreement, because Amer because um, coding is considered an in-demand role, and so they will subsidize um, salaries and things like that to be able to help coders get into this field. And so that's the reason why we're able to help a lot of new coders get into the um, a lot of new coders get into the field because we have the support from the Department of Labor. We have um, the support from Texas Workforce Commission. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have a school too, and our school is a little different, right? So mm-hmm. we don't do any online training for people right off the street. Mm-hmm. We help coders that are already have a certification, but they're having a hard time getting experience. Right. And, uh, but because we also recognize that um, coding schools is not standardized. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind what I said, now coding mm-hmm. schools are not standardized. Mm-hmm. Um, we ha- we have to, and although you earned your certification, we need to understand, we need to ensure that you are going to be successful on our project. So keep in mind, I'm going to go over, I'm going to kind of go over something. Yeah. And um, I'm so sorry. If That's I'm okay. No, 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 keep going. But, um, so what is the passing score for, and I hope, hopefully they're not upset with me about this. What is the passing score to earn your CPC or any AAPT credential? It would be like 75%, right? 70%. 70%. 70%. In order to stay employed at any facility, what's your quality score has to be? It has to be like above 95 or something like that, or above 90. So what's the problem there? Isn't there? <laughs> yeah. There... <laughs> Isn't there? Yeah. You got, I guess when people, I guess you're making a good point, is when people come into the workforce, if they just barely yeah. pass the exam, they're not meeting produ- yeah. productivity in the real world. Good point. Exactly. Yeah, good point. So that's the reason why you have to go through our course first. It's not that we're trying to take your money or we're trying to do anything from you, but unfortunately, the core. I love you, AAPC, but, but unfortunately, that exam is putting you already at a disadvantage, which is why a lot of facilities are hesitant about bringing on new, you know, brand new coders. Interesting. I think. That's my theory. Let me say that. No, no, it's a valid theory. It's not a a proven. No, 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 no. It's a hypothesis. It's a a valid (laughs) hypothesis. Yeah. So, um, and so what we do is we we validate. Hey, you know what you're doing. That's all that training. That's all our preseason training is. And I know we didn't talk about that, but that's all our training is: is that we validate you know what you're doing, and because unfortunately, you only have one attempt with a coding exam at you know any of the coding firms, right? If you don't make ninety percent, eighty percent on this coding exam, then we're not even going to consider you. But how ours work is: if you go through this program, you get 
nine attempts, not ten, but nine attempts of real coding, you know, real coding cases with uh, with feedback that's specific to the to your with um, ra- not only rationale but how to where you where you need to focus on what your type of areas is because you may have one coder who um, who has issues with specificity. You have another issue who just don't even understand what codes they find. They just totally miss codes. Just totally miss miss the codes. It's not even a specificity issue. Who don't understand how to use or interpret guidelines, how to um, analyze a chart, how to analyze a chart, how to look at the entire picture. So you get that type of assessment from our uh from our feedback, and then before, and then at that point, after you complete that ten, that ten week assessment, that ten week preseason training, then we can put you on a project. Those coders that complete our ten week project is the reason why we have a client right now that will give us any and every la- brand spanking new coders off of the street. They will give them any project that they have. It's because of them. It's because of that. It's because of that, and so I I stand behind it. Um, and I'm hoping again back to your question. What hope you know? What's in the future for Melissa? I'm just hoping to be a, an advocate. You know, this make well, I want to make families cool again. I want to make um, tradition cool again. I'm from the south, and you know, we live and breathe. You know, breathe tradition, and so I just want to make that cool again. And if there are supplemental areas that I have to kind of work on to make that happen so that moms and, or dads can be dads again and, um, you know, be whatever they need for their family. And that's what I want to do. Yeah. Now you got now you got me on a tangent now because you, you, you brought up that uh, <laughs> the um, the the test being the lowest score to pass is a 70. I know for AHIMA exams, it's 75. But I remember when I when I started out doing like, you know, inpatient auditing um, with a consulting firm, they threw at me, you got to be at 98%, you know, productivity, quality score. I'm like, what the heck? You know, like, so, you know, you, you make a good point. And one thing that I have noticed also um, is the pop-up of apprentice programs, especially with like AAPC with their practical, that just came out like not too long ago, right? And now I'm seeing apprentice uh, with ACDIS. Um, I'm seeing, I don't know if I see apprentice programs with AHIMA, but I know I've seen it with, um, with AAPC and ACDIS. So like, you you really like you make a good point like people like the, the associations at least have to take a look at why are they doing that what you know is it you know and what is the true purpose of them passing the exam is it you know i guess when a lot of people are fooled this is thinking that you know because you pass a certification meaning that you are entitled to a job i think that goes back to our original conversation mm-hmm. and it's not enough so now that you're mentioning that and you know, and then just a little bit of reality of you know being above ninety. Uh, I mean, if you're at scoring at a ninety percent on your exam, then you're set to go. I mean, you could. That's something you know, I never even I never really thought of. Like you know, 
if you told an employer if you score like a 90 and above on your certification exam, uh, and that would meet, and if, 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 if anybody listening now, if you scored like a 90 and above on your certification exam, that is something to tout to your employer. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So like nobody ever thought yeah. about it. like people keep people saying, oh, you just passed. Don't worry about the score. Like now, this now that you mentioned it, now the score really matters. Like so, if you if you can prove and show like you scored at productivity or you know quality level, I mean you you can definitely you know push your way into a nice opportunity there. Right. Yeah. Okay. That was my tangent too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, again, Melissa, I know we can we can talk on forever, but. Of course, my SD card is running out and uh, we don't want to hold you on too longer. Uh, but so let's let's wrap it up with this final question. Right. So you talked about a lot of stuff. You have a lot of drive. You have a lot of passion. Uh, you want to spread your wings. Uh, you came from, you know, from where you are to where you're at now. And uh, I noticed that you're you've been expanding uh, your 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 office space. Like right? so you you're you're growing and and looking forward to new things. So with that being said, so for our audience now, what I mean, you mentioned also, um, you know, being an advocate for for people who are thriving to get into our field and helping them out in any way. So what best words of advice could you give to our audience? Wow. Um, So my best advice um, for any up and coming um, coder or any current coder that is having a hard time uh, finding placement or purpose or um, a position is to, number one, define your why. Why did you decide to become a medical coder? And if your why is something that is of... um, self-realization and to improve your circumstances, then you need to allow that to drive you and to be your motivation to um, to not to quit. There are opportunities out there. You just need to be creative and think outside of the box. Um, employers now are looking for critical thinkers and not someone just to fill a quota or a, or a status quo. So just simply completing your resume, your traditional resume is not enough. You need to go to be assertive, be attentive, attend your meetings, be network, um, and you will find your purpose. Just do not, don't wait for the opportunity to come to you. You create your opportunity. So there you have it. That is my interview with Melissa Freeman. Again, Melissa, thank you for being on the podcast. I remember at the time of recording this podcast, she went ahead and right after that uh, posted something on Facebook where where she had a wonderful, delightful discussion with me, but it definitely wore her out. So just keep in mind that when you have a discussion, it can definitely wear you out for real. So if you're wondering how to get some good night's rest, uh, set up a time to interview with me and I'll get your mind going to the point where, <laughs> where you reach exhaustion. 
So to find more about OS2, all you have to do is go to os2healthcaresolutions.com. You could also find the company on Facebook. Uh, since this is coming at the end of this month in November, they are looking for interns for the upcoming season. I believe that would be the risk adjustment season. So again, if you're looking to find an opportunity to work with Melissa, all you have to do is go to her website, os2healthcaresolutions.com. And of course, for all of the show notes that we had discussed during our interview, all you have to do is go to medicalcodinggeek.com slash podcast. Not Elsewhere Classified is presented and produced by Medical Coding Geek. Music was brought to you by 43 and Coyote Hearing. Medical Coding Geek offers tutoring and media services for the medical coding, health information, and CDI community. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MED Coding Geek. That's MED Coding Geek. You can also find us on our website, medicalcodinggeek.com, where you can find and listen to all the podcast episodes plus the show notes from today. Make sure to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. We would definitely appreciate it. And again, thank you for being part of this podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kui, and you have just listened to Not Elsewhere Classified. MedicalCodingGeek.com